morning. Psalm 118 reminds us, This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We are glad to be in worship this morning in his house at First Church of New Knoxville. If you are joining us on Facebook or listening on the radio, we are happy you are with us in worship today. It's always a joy to have Kay on the organ bench, but it's even better when her sister Jane Shoemaker joins her. Thank you, Kay and Jade and Jane, for sharing in worship again this morning. There are many flowers and bouquets on the altar this morning. The flowers are from the memorial service in honor of Dorothy Egan, who was given a Christian burial on Thursday, July 29th at Pilgaroo Cemetery. The roses on the altar are in honor of two special couples celebrating wedding anniversary of 50 years or more. Ted and Carolyn Lammers are celebrating 50 years today. And Ed and Becky Rohrbach are celebrating 51 years today. The bouquet on the altar is in celebration of Ted and Carolyn Lammers' 50th wedding anniversary. And they are given with love from Matt and Mandy, Kevin and Stacy, Joe and Sarah, and all their grandchildren. And the second bouquet on the altar is in celebration of Ed and Becky Rohrbach's 51st wedding anniversary. And they are given with love from Aaron and Nikki and Adam and Shelby Rohrbach. May God's blessings and many more years to both couples. <clears throat> Please take a moment read any additional announcements that are printed in the bulletin. I would now invite you to stand and join me in the morning's call to worship, which is taken from Psalm 34, verses 1 through 10. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And now if you will remain standing and sing hymn number 74, Majesty.
You may be seated. At this time, I'd like to invite Pastor Tori Ford and the children to come forward for children's chat. Good morning. We have a few more coming up here. Whoa. So much excitement. I love it. How are you guys doing? Good? Good? How's your summer going? Good. I got a question for you guys. Does anybody use an alarm clock? You do? Yeah, she does. That's awesome. Do you like your alarm clock? You do? You have an alarm too? Do your parents wake you up? Are they your alarm sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we need an alarm clock though because we got to get out of bed, right? Especially since school is coming, right? We have to get into the school routine. Um, you know, one thing I love about my alarm clock is that it has a snooze button because I am not a morning person at all. Does yours have a snooze button? No? It will. <laughs> so, but there's two problems with the snooze button, okay? Is the one is that if you keep hitting the snooze button, it'll turn your alarm clock off for, you know, like five minutes or ten minutes, and then it'll go off again. And if you hit it enough times, you might be late for something, right? Because sometimes we need to get up for an appointment or for school or whatever. Uh, and the second problem is that sometimes if you keep hitting that snooze alarm, you start sleeping through your alarm because you don't hear it going off in the morning. And then you're really, really late. And that's not, that's not a fun way to start your morning because I've done that a couple times too. Um, so, but we use alarm clocks to help us wake up, right? Did you know that sometimes God sounds an alarm in our lives when he wants us to wake up? It's kind, of, it's kind of crazy, but he does. And sometimes he's saying, hey, hey, wake up, wake up. It's time to follow me. And some people just hit the snooze button and say, not, la- not now, Lord, just a little bit later. I'll do it later. And so Pastor Joel, he's been talking about seven churches over the last couple weeks, okay? And today he's going to be talking about a church in Sardis. And this church, they needed a wake-up call. Jesus needed to sound the alarm for them because they just kept hitting the snooze button. Here's what the scripture says this morning that he's going to talk about. It says, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold to it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night, and you will not know what time I will come to you. So this church, they were not really living like Jesus wanted them to live. They had had been hitting the snooze button a few too many times on their alarm clocks, and Jesus needed to wake them up. So sometimes he does that for us. But I got a question. How do we live for Jesus? Jesus wakes us up and says, I want you to live for me. How do we do that? get up and go to church, right? We don't hit the snooze button on our alarm through church, right? Uh, What else can we do to live for Jesus? I know. Wake up when he wants us to. Wake up when he wants us to, right? (laughs) What about read our Bibles? Can our Bibles help us to live for Jesus? Yeah, because it shows us in God's word how to live for him, what he expects of us, how to be in relationship with him and love him, right? What about, go ahead. We can pray, yes. We can pray to Jesus every single day, right? And so what I want you to do this week 
is I know that some of you are starting to get into the back-to-school routine and you up a little bit early. So whoever wakes you up in the morning, whether it's your alarm clock or mom or dad, when you wake up, I want you to say a quick little prayer to God and say, Lord, thank you for waking me up. Help me to live for you today. Okay? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for telling us to wake up sometimes in our lives and waking us up every day so that we can we can follow you and we can live for you, Lord. So I pray that this week that you would help us to do that, help us to live for you, help us to not hit the snooze button on our face, Lord, but to get in our Bibles, to be praying, Lord, and to be looking for opportunities to share your love with the people around us. We love you and we thank you for this time. Amen. All right, guys. See you later. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Tori. Thanks, kids. I don't know if this is because we coordinated too much or not enough, but that was the same illustration I was going to start my sermon with this morning. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do about that now, but no, that was great. Perfect, perfect illustration for the kids there. Um, that's great. As we, as we turn our attention uh, again in our service to prayer and worship, I want to take a few moments and remind you of the things that we can be praying for today. Um, today marks the beginning of the Auglaize County Fair. I know there's many families here and in our community that are involved in the fair. Um, certainly be in prayer for all those involved in safety. And certainly uh, praise God that we are able to have the fair in its fullness this year after having a, a shrunken version of it last year due to the COVID pandemic. So certainly praise God for that and pray for everyone that's involved and for safety for all those that are there. Another thing that I want to draw your attention to is actually an announcement in the bulletin. Uh, many of you know Jean Cook, a very beloved member of our church family and our community. Um, Jean is in kidney failure and is in need of a kidney donation. Um, there's information in your bulletin, uh, as well as for those maybe listening on the radio or watching on Facebook, there's information on our church Facebook page that was shared with the family's permission of how you can uh, check to see if you are a match as a live donor or to simply share that information with someone who could very well be uh, the answer to their prayers. But as we pray today, certainly keep Gene in your prayers um, and ask God to help provide for him in this way and bring healing through this process. Um, and certainly if you want more information about how you can, you know, reach out uh, and, and check and see if you are a kidney donor or a match for Gene, uh, certainly reach out to me here at the church office or you can certainly contact Jane and Gene as well and talk to them directly. But certainly want to keep Gene in your prayers as well as all those who are in need of healing. You know, it's amazing how God is able to heal, not just, you know, miraculously, he's certainly able to do that, but he also provides healing through the, the gift and the blessing of modern medicine and what doctors and, and nurses and caretakers are able to do. So we are certainly praying for God's healing one way or another for Gene and for all those who are in need this morning. Our offering today um, goes to support the general fund, and uh, Kay and Jane once again have music to bless us with during this time. I invite the deacons to come forward to collect our offering.
invite you to read through song. Our next song is hymn number 88, Fairest Lord Jesus. take time to go into prayer this morning i want to read the first the lyrics from the first verse of what a friend we have in jesus what a friend we have in jesus all our sins and griefs to bear what a privilege to carry everything to god in prayer oh what peace we often forfeit oh what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to god in prayer that's the invitation that god makes to us through jesus that we can bring all of our needs all of our struggles all of our joys to him in prayer. So let's do so now. Father God, we thank you for this day. 
We thank you, Lord, that we can gather here in this place. We can worship you and lift your name up on high. And we can certainly come to you now, Lord, in prayer and, and lay all of who we are, Lord, at your feet. Whether we bring joys in this room today, whether we bring hardship and sorrow and burden, Lord, whatever is on our heart and mind, we can lay it down at your feet. We can come to you in prayer and experience the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we ask not that you'd work according to our will or what we think is best for ourselves, but according to your will. May these things be done. Lord, this morning we do pray for Jean. We pray, Lord, that you would provide for him and his family in, a, in an amazing and miraculous way. We pray for healing for him. And we pray, Lord, that a, a kidney donor match will be found and found quickly and that the procedure, Lord, would be successful and that his body would, would receive the, the donated organ and be able to heal completely and fully from that. Lord, we know that everything works together according to your time and according to your purpose and will. So we pray, Lord, for, for your will to, to be done and that you would provide the exact match and the exact timing, Lord, that Jean needs. We pray also for those who are participating in Auglaise County Fair this week. We thank you, Lord, that, that these kids and families get an opportunity to do this again this year. We thank you, Lord, that, that everyone is welcome and able to be there after, after a different kind of fair last year. So we pray for safety for all those involved. We pray that, that everything would, would run smoothly, Lord, and that it would be a great time for, for the community to come together and celebrate, um, especially all the hard work that these kids with their projects have done to lead up to this point. Um, Lord, we also pray for the, the praise and prayer night coming up in two weeks. We are so thankful that we get the opportunity to set aside a, a specific night, Lord, to, to praise you and to, to lift you lift up our concerns in prayer in a different way. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would draw people here to this place for that night. Um, Lord, that we would gather together as the body of Christ, as, as a community here, in order to focus our time and our attention on you, Lord, uh, for that evening. Lord, we also continue to pray for those in authority over us as your word calls us to do. And so this day we pray for our state government, Lord. We pray for our governor, our state legislature, and our state courts. We ask, Lord, for wisdom and guidance that they would seek you, Lord, that they'd have a hunger and thirst for your righteousness, and that they would be filled. Lord, we also pray for the leadership here in this church. I thank you for our elders here and their leadership that they provide to this body of Christ and pray, Lord, for your continued guidance in their lives as they seek to serve you by serving this church. Lord, we thank you and pray also for those needs that are represented in the bulletin, Lord, um, and pray, Lord, for you to work exactly what is needed in those situations, whether it's healing, whether it's provision, whether it's reconciliation, Lord. Uh, whatever is needed, we ask for your will to be done and that because you are not only a God who, who is able, not only a God who can provide, but you are a God who, who desires to do so because you are a loving and gracious and compassionate Father. We thank you for these things and pray them in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, 
and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Scripture reading today is Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6, part of which Tori already read for us this morning. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, Sharon. Once again, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can open your word together. Your word is, uh, your word is truth. Your word is a light for our path. And we ask, Lord, that as we study it together this morning, that you would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. Lord God, may you provide words for my mouth, uh, and may I speak what you have, uh, a message from you to our church this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So how many of you have alarm clocks? No, sorry, we've been there, we've been there already. No, but, but it's a great illustration because, because it, it, it's so true. If you're like me and you're, you're not a morning person, those alarm clocks are necessary to get you up and moving. Uh, my parents will e- are even here this morning to attest to the fact that I am not a morning person and never have been, and chances are never will be. Um, but but those alarm clocks help us to wake up. In fact, I remember when Allie and I uh, were about ready to welcome Josephine into the world, I remember one among many fears and concerns I had and doubts as a father was, man, this kid's going to get up way before I want to get up in the morning. Uh, thankfully, we somehow managed to raise two kids that that sleep in well. Maybe it's those blackout curtains we bought for the room that, that, are, that are handy. Um, and then we went and got a dog and that just ruined everything because he likes to wake up early. But we all need that wake up call every once in a while, don't we? Whether we're a morning person or not, we need to be, we need something to get us up and get us moving in the morning. And if we're not careful, as Tori highlighted for us, we can snooze right past the time we need to wake up or maybe even turn off the alarm completely. And this is such a great analogy for our topic this morning, because as Jesus points out for us and points out specifically to the church in Sardis, that we all need a wake-up call, right? Individuals and and churches in general um, are sleepwalking through life, and, and we need to be reminded 
of what God is calling us to do and who God is calling us to be. In fact, Jesus uses an illustration here that goes a little bit further than just sleepwalking, right? He talks about how the church in Sardis appears to be alive, but is truly dead. You know he's calling them, right? He's calling them spiritual zombies. Right? Zombies are, are a classic horror trope, right? Classic horror monster that, is, that has become more and more, uh, made its way into popular culture in recent years. And zombies are, are things that are the dead that seemingly come back to life. They aren't really alive, right? They can't think, they can't speak. They're only driven by their basic instincts. They have a semblance of life, but they're truly dead. And that's what Jesus is saying to the church here. He's telling them, you look like you're alive. You look like you have everything together, but you're truly dead on the inside. He doesn't waste any time with that either. This is the only letter among the seven letters found in Revelation 2 and 3 that doesn't even mention at least one thing that they're doing well. Right? Jesus has nothing positive to say to them in this moment. And that stands in stark contrast with the other letters we've been looking at, right? Because even in the last couple weeks that have led up to this point, where they've been, they've been tolerating false teaching and tolerating sin and, and holding on to it, they at least, Jesus at least has something positive to, to commend them for. But here in the church in Sardis, they are past that point. He gets right to the main idea here, which is that they are truly dead on the inside. And this seems harsh, right? These are harsh words that Jesus is saying. But he spoke similar words in the Gospels to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. Among several woes that are listed there in that chapter, he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to, pe- appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Ouch. Right? How would you like it if Jesus said that to you? It looks like you got it all together. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. When I was first uh, serving as a youth pastor at uh, the church in Huntington, the first mission trip we took the kids on was to New Orleans. And if any of you have ever been there, you know what cemeteries in New Orleans are like, right? This is an area that, that they, they actually inter their dead above ground, right? They don't bury them because the water table in that area is so high, as soon as you start digging a hole, it fills up with water. So instead of burying them six feet under, like we're used to in this area, they actually lay their... They're dead to rest in tombs above ground. And so many of these are whitewashed. And they're beautiful, right? You drive by and you see these tombs. They're, so many of them, like I said, above ground and they're painted white. And they are, they're, they're beautiful to look at. But when Hurricane Katrina came through the Gulf Coast in 2005 and caused massive damage and massive flooding, especially in New Orleans, what happened was, was the flooding... Uh, damaged these cemeteries, and for for lack of a better term, the contents of some of these graves were were washed away. And so what happened is that you know what seemed beautiful, what seemed pristine, what seemed clean, 
during that time, that was a reminder that, that those whitewashed tombs truly contained the remains of, of the dead. In the same way, Jesus says we can be like that if we're not careful. We can look like we have it all together. We can look perfect and beautiful and wonderful on the outside. We can do all the things we're supposed to be doing. But if we don't, but we can still be dead on the inside if we're missing something. But before we get to that thing we're missing, I think it's important for us to ask what spiritual zombies look like today. What does it look like today to be, to be, to look good on the outside, but to truly be dead on the inside? And as I talk about these things, this, I, I don't mean these, this might be a tough pill to swallow for some of us. Right? As we talk about these things, it may be difficult because we may see little bits of ourselves and parts of ourselves in these things. And so as we talk, I don't, I don't, this, these aren't harsh words meant to condemn you, but, to, but possibly to convict you. Right? If you see yourself here, the question is not, the question we need to ask ourselves then is what, what do we do? How can we be made alive again? And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But hear these words. Don't, don't shut yourself off. Hear what God has to say to us through Scripture, what it looks like to be dead, spiritually dead on the inside. And we have to start, of course, with the state of all people outside of Christ. You see, everyone that has not put in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? And, and Paul uses words here that are very specific for a reason. He says the wages of sin is death, right? Wages are something you earn. It's something you deserve. If you are gainfully employed right now, right, you go and you work, and at the end of your pay period, you receive a paycheck, right? Those are your wages. You put in the time, you put in the effort, you did your job, and therefore you deserve to get paid at the end of the pay period. If you worked for two weeks and then, and then payday comes and your employer says, no, I don't think you, did, I don't think you deserve that, you'd have a reason to be upset, right? Because you earn, you deserve that pay. So when Paul says that the wages of sin is death, what he's saying is what we deserve, what we've earned for ourselves is death. Right? All of us, right? Everyone, Scripture says, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. So what we've all earned for ourselves is death. That's what our sin earns for us. That's, and we are all sinners by nature and by deed. But Paul doesn't end there. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? And, he, and here's where I mean he used very specific words. He says the wages of sin is death. But he doesn't say that the wages of God. He doesn't say you have to earn it. He says it's the gift of God. A gift is free. It's unearned. It's unmerited. When we talk about God's grace, we're talking about God's gift. Grace is his unmerited favor, his unearned love. And so the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God gives eternal life to those who trust in Jesus and receive that free gift of eternal life by faith. So all those who are outside of Christ are spiritually dead. But we also see pictures in throughout Scripture of uh, examples throughout scripture of what it means to be uh, spiritual zombies appear to have life but still be spiritually dead 
And the first thing I want to point out is that, is that people can be upstanding citizens but still have no faith in Christ. Because scripture teaches us that our good works don't save us. We can be good people, right? We can be good citizens. We can have good manners. We can be really nice. But our good works, our kindness to others doesn't save us. Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us, of course, speaking of God, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Right? It's not about... It's not about earning our way. It's not about doing enough good things to be saved. It's simply about receiving the grace that comes through Christ. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. And in Philippians 3, Paul gives a a more thorough example of this idea here. Paul, of all people, had a reason to boast, right? And that's what he talks about here in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 11. Right? He was, he had it all together. By, by a world, from a worldly perspective, even from a religious perspective, right? He had done all the right things. Yet he finally realized that his good works, that his being a good person wasn't enough. And so he tells the Philippian church in chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, he says, Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Do you see what he's saying there? He's like, look, I've done it all. I've, I've been there. I've been perfect according to the law. And then in verse 7 he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Do you see what Paul's saying there? He's saying all of it, all of those good works, all of the righteous things I've done are nothing compared to knowing Christ. In other words, he says they're garbage compared to knowing him. So we can be good citizens, we can be good people, but have no faith in Christ. A second kind of spiritual zombie that we encounter today are people who go through the motions but have no commitment to follow Christ outside of Sunday mornings. And that's almost what Jesus uh, confronted the church in Ephesus about in the very first letter in Revelation 2, that they had lost their first love. That they were simply going through the motions, they were doing the right things, but their heart was no longer in it. We live in a day where there's so much information available to us. Right, I could ask a question to you now, and somebody in the audience, you know, somebody here in the congregation, can pull out your phone, Google it, and have an answer before I'm done, you know, with my next thought. Right? We have so much information that is available to us right at our fingertips. Yet information can't save us. Right? It's what you do with that information that counts. And so we can know. I think the biggest problem we have, one of the biggest problems we have today is a lot of people who know about Jesus, 
but don't know Jesus. You know what I mean by that? The difference between knowing Jesus in an informational way, knowing about Jesus, versus making Jesus your Savior and Lord, right? Having a relationship with Him. Uh, Allie and I haven't been married long enough to have a rose on the altar for ourselves, but today is also our anniversary. We celebrate 12 years today. And I can tell you that, that we know each other better now than we did 12 years ago. Right? Relational knowledge comes through experience. It's the daily commitment to love and care for one another. And the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. If we're just going through the motions, if we just know about Him, if we kind of do our duty on Sunday mornings and then just go about our business the rest of the week as if it didn't, doesn't matter, we're missing something very significant. So Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, all share, uh, uh, there's a lot in common, a lot of parables, a lot of stories that they have the same, but they all share the story of Jesus telling his disciples that they must take up the cross and deny him. It's found in Luke and Matthew and Mark. But there's, a, there's some, one slight difference in Luke that is really important for us to notice, and I want to read it for you. Luke 9, 23 through 25 Jesus is speaking, and he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For who wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? You know what the difference is between Luke and the other Gospels? Luke says daily. It's a reminder that it's a daily commitment to follow Christ. The third one, the last one I want to share with you here today, is the person who lives uh, by faith but has no works. They claim to believe, but there is no fruit or evidence in their life. We see in the book of James where uh, James says that faith without works is dead, right? What good is it to tell someone to keep warm and well-fed but do nothing to meet their needs? He says in the same way, faith without works is dead. Then Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, says that we can know He's talking about teachers, he's talking about prophets, but, but the same can be applied to all of us. He says, you know fruit, a good tree produces good fruit. And so we need to make sure that our, our lives reflect what we say we believe. Good works don't save, but they naturally occur in the life of a person who is saved. Tim Keller once said, religion says, I obey, therefore God loves me. But Christianity says, God loves me, therefore I obey. See the difference there? It's not that obedience doesn't matter. It's putting it in the right order. So Jesus had much to say to the church in Sardis, and he gives them a warning. He says that he's about to come back, and he's going to judge those who do not repent. He says he's coming like a thief in the night, which speaks to a sudden unknown arrival. Jesus could come back any day. He can come back today. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And so we need to live today like it's our last because it very well could be. And I don't want to sound morbid that we have spent a lot of time talking today talking about death and zombies. But, I, but the reality is one, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. You may suddenly pass away or Jesus could come back before the service is over. We just don't know. And so we need to live accordingly. Today is the day of salvation. You know, don't put it off. Don't procrastinate. Eventually, one day, it will be too late. Judgment is good for those in Christ because we know the penalty has already been paid. So we need to wake up, stay alert, and be ready when he comes. 
And he says we need to hold on tight to what we have. And what we have is the, is the promise of the gospel. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus died, excuse me, Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The gospel isn't for people out there, right? They need the gospel too, but we need to hear it also, right? It's for us, it's for me. We all need to hear it and respond to it. And we need to hear it every day. We never outgrow our need for it. We can never exhaust our need for it. And the gospel is the power of God. In Romans 1.16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And it has the power to bring life out of death. Right? He goes on to talk about how those who, who respond to the good news, who, those who, who hold on to the gospel will be clothed in white robes, right? a sign of, of, of righteousness and purity, not of our own, but of Christ that he has given to us. And we see that theme continuing throughout the book of Revelation, like in Revelation 7, 9, where it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. Right? We've seen here today that Jesus had some harsh words for the people of the church in Sardis, and he has harsh words for us too. We need to wake up. We need to be on guard. We need to be alert. Right? But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can breathe life into dead bones. Right? Jesus can make us alive again in him. In Ezekiel, there's this, there's this famous vision that he has in chapter, I believe it's chapter 37, of the Valley of Dry Bones, where, where God brings Ezekiel, and there's just this, these bones just thrown everywhere around the field. And he tells Ezekiel to prophesy for the bones to come together. And they do. They come together, and they... And, and tendons and ligaments form, and skin and flesh form over the bones, but they're still not alive. And then God tells him to prophesy again. He says, prophesy to the four winds. Tell it come and breathe life into these dry bones so that they may live. Right? That's what God does for us. We, have, we may have the appearance of being alive, but apart from him, we are spiritually dead. And so we need his breath of life in us. We need to respond to the good news of the gospel the promise that he's made us, that if we repent, if we trust in him and put our faith in him, then he will make us alive again. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you have made us alive in Christ. We thank you that it is through your work on the cross that we are made alive, Lord. Apart from you, we are spiritually dead, but in you, we have the hope of eternal life. We thank you for that. We pray now, Lord, that, that everyone that is here, everyone that hears the sound of my voice, whether on the radio or on Facebook, would hear and respond to that good news. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we pre prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper this morning, let's stand and let's sing hymn number 92, Love Divine, All Love Excelling.
and you may be seated. Just one quick note of instruction before we go into a time of prayer. Uh, as we serve communion at the altar here this morning, uh, we would invite you to come down the two sides on either side of the altar and then head back up the center aisle uh, with the elements and feel free to take those um, whenever you're able to. When you sit down, if you want a moment of silent reflection and prayer, feel free to do that as well, but take them as you feel led to do. So we take communion this morning. We're reminded of what God has done for us today. You know, the, the, the theme for today is a great lead-in to celebrating the Lord's Supper together because it is through Christ, his, his body broken on the cross and his blood shed on the cross, that we do experience new life. And it's in him and him alone. Communion reminds us of two things. It reminds us of our need for God, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so, so in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to confess our sins to him to be honest with him about how we ourselves have fallen short of his glory. But it's also a time to celebrate because Jesus is the Savior we need, that he has not left us as our sin, he has not treated us as our sins deserve, he has not left us in our sin, but through faith in him has given us new life and, and made us all children of God. So as we pray together, I'm going I'm to offer a prayer of confession for all of us, and then I'm going to have just a, a brief moment of silence. I encourage you to take that opportunity to, to speak with God one-on-one -on -one in the silence of your hearts and confess your sins to him, and then we will move on to communion together. So I invite you to pray with me. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name. And hear us now as we confess our sins to you. We have this promise from God that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So all you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, I invite you to come forward and take the sacrament to your comfort.
invite you to pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you breathe new life into us and that we can experience your grace anew each morning. We certainly thank you for this time where we can partake in the Lord's Supper, which reminds us of your grace and your love and your mercy, that you save us lost sinners and you bring us into your family and renew us, Lord, and give us new heart, new life, new purpose. Pray, Lord, that we would all live according to your will on this day and all days to come. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.